DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in Josh Newman, Utah Utes beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh, good morning. Good morning, boys. How are you? Doing well. Not to embarrass you right out of the gate, Josh, but we were talking about you last week. I don't know if you heard about that. I didn't. Why don't you fill me in? <laughs> uh, we both agreed you were doing a really good job on the Utes beat, so... It's not always the easiest thing in the world to step into a new market and get a feel for what's going on. But uh, the thing that I noticed right away is your questions are really good when we're on those Zoom calls. They're right on point. They're frequently stuff I'm thinking I want to ask, and then you ask it. And, of course, there's no better way to be labeled, you know, as smart. It's just we we find people who agree with us and think the way we do. That person really gets it because that's what I was thinking. So either you're really good or we're both completely lost, but we seem to be on the same page a lot. No, you guys are not completely lost. And listen, genuinely, I do appreciate those kind words. Uh, look, I'm an outsider coming from the East Coast. I've tried to, you know, ingratiate myself in the community, in the media scene. Uh, I've tried to, you know, come in headfirst on this beat. And look, the pandemic hasn't made our job what we do for a living. The pandemic has made it, you know, quite difficult, right? You know, without the face-to-face stuff, everything's on Zoom. It's limited access, so, you know, we're all just trying to do our best every day. Yeah. And the only thing I didn't really like about Josh is that he didn't grade the pie at the Star Tavern in Orange, New Jersey, high enough. Now, pie, people will think oh. apple, blueberry. No, we're not talking apple, but we're talking pizza. Star Tavern? You must have done your homework. No, I did not, I did not grade Star Tavern super high. Look, it might have been the night. It might have been who was in the kitchen. I understand that Star Tavern <laughs> is, you know, an institution. Uh, and if I ever live to get back to the East Coast, I, I, I will give it a, a second shot. <laughs> it's an institution in my it. family, that's for sure. Still is. Many, many, fam- many, many family members go to that place. So I remember talking to you about it. But, uh, you know, we're talking about the Utes, and obviously their season has concluded. And I think that they got just about everything they needed to get accomplished this season in terms of valuation, except the Cam Rising thing. I think that was a bummer. But other than that, I'm generally pleased. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think they did get everything accomplished mostly. Um, look, I, I went back and forth between, you know, what is this season? Obviously, look, you're playing the games, and they count, and the film is out there. So you want to perform well. And the goal, you know, the end game every week is to prepare and win a football game, no matter if it's in this weird pandemic or not. That's one thing. But the other thing, as you alluded to, you're evaluating, you're thinking down the road, you're trying to decide how good you can be later, uh, how good some of these young kids can be later, uh, what you need to do uh, in terms of recruiting or the transfer portal or whatever have you. And yeah, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, they got five games in and I think they have a pretty, you know, a pretty fair idea of what they're looking at down the road. And, uh, you know, the big picture kind of knee jerk reaction on, on Saturday, at least for me in the wake of the season ending, I think there's a lot of reason to be very optimistic on both sides of the ball about what they have and what they can be moving forward. Now, look, things happen kids transfer, kids leave. There's a couple of NFL draft decisions probably still to be made. Uh, There's a bunch of seniors that need to decide what they're going to do because they have the option to come back for one more year. But, you know, long story short, all told, I think there's plenty of reason to be very optimistic about the future. 
Obviously, the Utes have just gotten a couple of uh, quarterback transfers here. What do you know about them? Because that seems to be the massive missing piece. The defense came along, looked good. The second half of that Washington State game, they were dominant. Obviously, the running game is there. Ty Jordan is putting up huge numbers, and not just numbers, but looking good doing it. It passes the eye test. So as it so often does with the Utes, it comes back to quarterback. What do you know about these guys? Yeah, so Jaquinton Jackson, who was, a, who was a true freshman this year at Texas, he, he committed late Saturday night. And on the surface, I thought that was, I thought that, you know, that was really good. Uh, he, he comes with a very big high school pedigree from the state of Texas, you know, highly, re, highly recruited kid, uh, was coming off knee surgery. So, he, you know, he hasn't taken a snap since, you know, his senior year of high school. Um, that was fine. But after I thought about it a little more, uh, that kid, while talented, that kid doesn't add anything for you in terms of experience to the room. And I think that's one thing that Utah needed was an experienced, capable guy in the quarterback room you know, to help out a Cam Rising, who doesn't have a lot of experience, to help out Peter Costelli, who's going to come in here as a true freshman. So that was one thing. And then late yesterday afternoon, they get a commitment from Charlie Brewer who was a four-year starter at Baylor, another kid with a huge high school pedigree from Texas, went into Baylor, threw for 9,700 yards in four years. That's a big one. You know, that qualifies, in my mind, that's like big game hunting, right? Utah went out looking for a, a real experienced quarterback, and they got one in spades. Um, I'm not going to sit here on, you know, December 21st and tell you that Charlie Brewer is going to be the starter when the, you know, when the 21 season opened on September 2nd, but that's a very experienced, very capable guy in your quarterback room who at a minimum should should take control of the room and help out some of these young guys, right? Help out Cam Rising, help out Peter Costelli, help out Cooper Justice, who's, who's going to be a true freshman again next year. So, um, as you said, Utah needed to address their quarterback situation, and they got it done within 24 hours of the season ending. So I think that's a great job by Kyle Whittingham and staff. So the freshman kid coming over, it's it's basically the same thing as a rising. You go to Texas, you don't play, you don't win the job, you're not sure you're going to get out on the field, so you leave. And, and then basically that was Bentley's situation too. Wasn't sure he was going to play, so he leaves. And I don't want to crack on the kid, but you can see why to an extent why uh, South Carolina went in a different direction. So I'm wondering, the point being, do I really want to base my quarterbacking position on guys who essentially weren't good enough to get out on the field someplace else? That's why they're leaving. Now, the other kid from Baylor, that's an entirely different situation. Now, that program from when he first got there to where it is now, we know has undergone all sorts of upheaval. Is that the primary reason why he's leaving, or is there something else there? It's really early there. I, I, I don't know the full story there, right? It, it is a little weird. Everything's a little weird with the pandemic. Um, you know, the kid played four years, so he, he, could, he could probably go t- to the NFL draft and at least get to the combine and, and give himself a chance to be a pro. I'll, I'll give it to you. It's a very weird situation. He's going to be a graduate tra- transfer. Uh, everybody gets an extra year of eligibility now because of the pandemic. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see and report and, and kind of hear about, you know, what that backstory is. Cause he's not a, he's not 18 years old, right? He's, he's, he's 22. He's played 45 games for a big 12 school. So I'll be curious to hear that backstory. 
I think just looking at the numbers, the thing that jumps out at me is his completion percentage isn't quite good enough. The touchdown-interception ratio not only is a little concerning at 2-1, to one, uh, but it doesn't seem to be getting better. And so if I were Cam Rising, yes, I'd want to learn from him because he's played a lot of games, he's thrown a lot of passes, uh, he's thrown a lot of touchdowns, he's thrown a lot of interceptions too. But I also would think – there's a way to win the job here. This isn't automatically Charlie Brewer's gig. Uh, you know, that 2-to-1 touchdown ratio, it did get to 3-to-1 one year, his junior year, but it went right back to 2-to-1. And that we all know Kyle, that's going to bug Kyle. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. But I don't, I don't, I don't put all my stock into the touchdown to, to uh, INT ratio just because at Baylor it's, it's high octane, it's spread. You're throwing the ball all over the place. So, yeah, the quarterback is going to throw some picks. I'm not. I'm not super worried about that. Um, to your point, no, I agree with you. I no, Charlie Brewer is not coming in here. The job is not automatically his. And we saw this year what can happen when there's some assumptions. I think I'm not going to say everybody. I think a lot of people, yeah, kind of assume that you know Bentley came in here with you know 33 starts under his belt. Everybody thought that he would seize the job and you know he would be the guy from day one, which which was not the case. Um, you know, it's a it's a bit of a difficult situation now for Utah. They have the help with you know, again Jackson and Brewer. Rising did win the job this fall, but Kyle has already said that Rising is very likely not going to be available for spring ball. So that's going to take away you know reps and experience. And then you get to the point where okay, it's going to be um, you know fall camp come August if we get a, a normal season. Is Rising going to be ready for the summer? Even if he is ready for the summer, Brewer will have come in here in January and you know worked with Andy Ludwig from January all the way through August. So it's going to be a little bit of a fascination, not so much in the spring because we kind of see what that is shaking out as with rising out. The real fascination is going to be once we get to August, how the quarterback situation shakes out. So no matter who the quarterback is, I'm going to make an outlandish statement, see if you agree with me, that next season they're going to rely on good defense, decent special teams, and a strong running game. Yes. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Uh, the defense showed I, – you know, look, I wrote this a few times. I think the defense uh, outperformed any even reasonable expectation that even Kyle had. Even, you know, Kyle during – you know, October when camp started really was, I'm not going to say he wasn't high on this defense, but he was being very realistic that, look, nine, nine defensive starters needed to be replaced, including the entire secondary. So I don't think he had super high hopes for this defense, but the defense played, you know, reasonably well, right? They finished, I think it's number two in the Pac-12 in total defense. Uh, they had the number one rushing defense in the league by, you know, quite a wide margin. So, yeah, um, very good defense. And, you know, I don't know that the quarterback needs to be anything other than a game manager. Um, what I will say is, and I'll play devil's advocate here, I'm probably in the minority, Ty Jordan has been tremendous, uh, especially over the last three games. Do you want to give him the entire rushing attack? He is just five foot seven. We don't know how he's going to hold up under a full, you know, 12-game workload. Are we ready to hand the keys to the rushing offense to specifically Ty Jordan. I don't, I don't know that that's a wise plan, but that's why they're making the money they make, and that's why I'm sitting here talking to you. <laughs> well, having said that, uh, yes, he's the guy. 
I mean, he is the guy. He's the number one back. But I am always more comfortable when it's a 70-30-80-20 split. I think there's so many examples across football where when you have a change of pace and the defense is used to seeing one kind of thing and you give them somebody who's you know more of a power back or a better receiver or complementary and you give them every third or fourth possession or, or maybe they're the third down back, I think that usually works out well. Is he the featured back? Absolutely. Do I think he should be carrying 100% of the load? I wasn't comfortable when Zach Moss did, did it. And it worked out, and Zach was great, but even that just – Guys wear down. Guys take hits. Guys get injured. So you need a second guy. And that, look, and that's just the point I'm making. I didn't mean to make it sound like Ty Jordan is not the number one guy. Ty Jordan is absolutely the number one guy. But as you alluded to, you need to find a, a balance. You know, seventy thirty, eighty twenty. Can Makai Bernard really turn into you know a, um, a viable number two guy that can take some of the uh, take some of the work you know off Jordan's shoulders? Um, to that, I will say, like, I will not be surprised if Kyle, you know, goes to the portal for some more running back help. You know, you don't find super quality running backs in the portal every year like you do quarterbacks, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle is still in the market for at least one more running back. So even though I was born and raised in New Jersey, I also grew up second part of my life in Arizona, went to ASU, worked in Los Angeles, so I am a Pac-10 slash 12 guy through and through. And this season has left me thoroughly disgusted with the management of the conference. I mean, I just can't believe how irrelevant they are. And this is my conference, so it pains me to say it. Uh, what, what are your thoughts as far as that goes? Because it seems like they just gross, <clears throat> grossly mismanaged this whole situation all season, put themselves completely on the outside. Um, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, the, the thing specifically with the Pac-12 title game, how that, how that shook out, there, there was no right answer, and there was no easy answer. And in the, in the days leading up to, you know, the Pac-12 title game or even the decision to, to you know, to see who would, who would play in the title game, I just remember thinking that Larry Scott is going to get eviscerated no matter what he does. Um, I've gone back and forth on this, back and forth. I would have gone USC versus Colorado. Those were the those were the two best. If you take away the divisions, Washington couldn't play. Uh, Colorado and USC, you know, that game got canceled. Uh, Oregon was a two-loss second-place team in its own division. In hindsight, that was that was really silly to have Oregon play in the title game. Uh, it should have been USC Colorado. Uh, that would have been the path of least resistance in terms of optics. Not that Larry Scott cares about optics. He's made that clear already. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. Look, as as an East Coast guy, as somebody who, who loves college athletics and, you know, follows everything nationwide, like you, I, I read from afar and, and, and listen from afar for years about the Pac-10, the Pac-12, and, you know, the bad management, you know, and Larry Scott and this. It was really a different deal, though, when I got out here and saw it firsthand and started covering the league, um, the mismanagement is mind-blowing. The things that go, you know, the things that go on in the league office and the decisions made, not only that, the way that they present these things. Every time Larry Scott opens his mouth, he gets crushed by the media. Every single time. And it's just, it's not even funny anymore. It's more sad than funny to me. 
You know, the, there are many things to criticize, but for a league where everybody needs more money, I think the thing that PNK and I always come back to is you could at least move the, te- the TV network out of the city. You know, they're not using a backdrop of, of San Francisco for their anchor desk. Why people in editing suites are in the most expensive real estate on the West Coast makes <laughs> no sense to us. Honestly, the TV network, I've always felt like, should be in an anonymous box somewhere near the Salt Lake Airport. It's honestly where Channel 2 was when I got hired. We're downtown now. Uh, but you can fly in and out. It's cheap. You could pay people who work at the network less because they'd spend so much less on real estate. you got to pay people so much money because they got to live in the Bay Area. It's crazy. And if you want to keep the conference office there so that you can meet with Google, and if that's going to pay off one day, I guess so. But what is the TV network doing there? You're just blowing a large amount of money. And I have never heard a good explanation for that. Not anything even – why Bob back in Edit Suite 3 is in the San Francisco real estate market just blows my mind. No, it, you're right. San Francisco is an incredibly expensive city. Um, I agree with you. If you want to keep the conference office there and you know, be you know, near the tech people, you think that's going to pay off on the next media rights go around, that's fine. Um, you know, the network, the editing suites, the people that are, are trying to – you know, scratch out a living doing those things. There's no need for those people to be, you know, having to live in San Francisco or San Francisco proper, the area. And again, um, gross mismanagement on the people in charge. I, I will say this, just having having built relationships and talking to people, I don't expect Larry Scott to be negotiating the next media rights deal. That I, I don't see that happening at all. Well, Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. Uh, good work. We haven't talked much basketball. We can have you talk, uh, have you back to talk basketball uh, going forward when it gets ramped up and rolling. If, if indeed it gets ramped up and rolling, it may just be stop and go all year. Hopefully not. Anytime. You guys have a great holiday. I appreciate it. Josh Newman, Utah Utes beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Matt Marshall, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel, covers UCF as well. He'll be by to talk about the bowl game at 9 o'clock. Coming up next, your reaction to Rudy Gobert's enormous new contract. Five years, $205 million. Got a lot of people lining up for that. Grab your phone. Use the, uh, use the app. Use our app. Use the open mic feature. Send us your take. We'll get those on the air. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. These are the guys that have been there and seen it all. You see? You see? This is DJ and PK. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Jazz have signed Rudy Gobert to a five-year contract worth $205 million. It's not the Supermax. He didn't take every last dollar. Could have gotten up to $228 million, so a little more than $4 million a year left on the table. But $205 million is still an enormous number. He's got an option year at the end of that, so guaranteed for four, and then the fifth year we'll see. That's a long way down the road in the NBA. Your reaction on Facebook at DJ and PK. Tweet at us at David DJ James. Aaron's reaction, well, it's not my money. <laughs> so apparently Aaron's good with it. You over there, write the check. I'll be over here enjoying the game. <laughs>
which is how a lot of people look at it. They just don't worry about it. Well, it depends on what level of fandom you have, because if you have an intense level of fandom and you want to see this team do well, then you would have an emotional investment. You don't have a financial investment, literally, as far as paying the money, although, you know, if you buy tickets and all that stuff, merchandise, whatever it might be, it goes towards that. But, yeah, it's none of our money, but it's more than that. It's just like what is the situation as far as what's that going to do to help them be a better ball club and strive to win a title? Well, I think the thought there is that uh, his defensive presence is extraordinary and he enables them to go get offensive players <clears throat> who might have a little problem defending and cover up for their, uh, their issues. Because you can, it's a lot easier to defend when you know you have to defend the three-point line and if a guy tries to go by you, he's going to run into Rudy. I mean, that's yeah, oversimplified that's... to a large degree, but that's the basic thought. Okay, great. And they haven't gotten out of the first round in the last two years. I don't think his defense is going to get any better. I wouldn't think it would either. Now, are they going to keep bringing in more, uh, more and better offensive players? You know, if Bogdanovich had been healthy. If, 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 if. You're right. So everyone's well, expecting that, something different before, this year. before, it didn't matter. Nope. I mean, it, they, got out of, they got beat out of the first round, so don't give me that. that I mean, this year you can give me that, but the year before you can't. Shane says it sends a clear message to the rest of the league. Utah is not afraid to spend the cash. All caps on the cash. Oh, I don't think that they've ever been afraid to spend, spend the cash anyway. I think that what, that message needed to be sent. I suppose maybe with a new owner, maybe it needed to be reaffirmed. But I think they had already sent that uh, as far as that goes. As you look at some of these salaries that these guys make, and as you said earlier, the, you're basically obligated to spend the money. Yep. So I don't think that that was going to be an issue, that they'll spend the money. Of course they will. Alex says, I guess that's how much a 50-win, 32-loss, fifth-seeded, and first-round exit costs nowadays. Ooh, a lot of cynicism there. I sort of <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, they've been sitting in that five-seed spot multiple times now. People are kind of getting kind of getting used to that. Can they break through? Can they get to second or third? And if they got to second or third, can they break through and they can they get to first? Michael just tweeted at us, per usual, the defense will be great moving forward. Offense at times struggling. It was a little surprising given that uh, that should have been the up. Oh, sorry, wrong team. Never mind. <laughs> the defense tricked me on that. It got into it too far. He's talking Utes. The comparisons there, PK. The defensive-driven Utes and the defensive-driven Jazz. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, but I do think that from the offensive perspective, the Jazz are better than the Utes, obviously playing different sports. So I think that offensively they've they've addressed that, and so they went and they've got they got more firepower. Bogdanovich is a really good offensive player. Yeah, you know he's not going to get you ten boards. I mean, he's more likely to get you zero than he is to get you ten. <laughs> well, uh, he, he had but, that game last year, and that became the yeah. topic. Yeah, but there, he he's a prolific offensive player. If he's got a wide open three. Uh, as a jazz fan, I'm extremely happy because that thing's going down minimum, minimum 50% of the time if he's wide open. Uh, so uh, they've addressed some offense here, uh, I think. I think their offense is better. And I'm excited for this season because 
I do think that it was worth bringing it back, especially once March hit and everything was all screwy. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever got to see the true capability and true evaluation opportunity of what this team is uh, capable of achieving. And then obviously with the surgery with Bogdanovich, that just wiped it off completely, and it wasn't even close to uh, a fair evaluation. And under the circumstances, with the contracts being what they were, they were probably going to bring these guys back anyway. It was clear that uh, Conley most likely was going to be there two years when they made that deal to bring him over. And so... I would love to see, and I can't guarantee anything, that they have an opportunity to be healthy, and then we can give it a true evaluation. And I think that's all that you ever want, is to be able to look at your team and evaluate it fully. Like with the Utes with football, with their season being over, they really can't evaluate the quarterback position. I guess maybe to the point of thinking, well, the guy who played the most of the snaps, he's not good enough. Uh Maybe you can evaluate from that. Uh, you certainly can't evaluate on rising because it didn't happen, and that's unfortunate. And that's with the Utes. You couldn't make that evaluation, or excuse me, the Jazz. You couldn't make that evaluation. Well, this is really what we got. You got glimpses of it, and let's see what it can do this year because I'm excited for their opportunity. Now, I think the Lakers, in my mind, are far and away the favorite, so it's going to be hard to get over- overcome that. I understand that completely. But I still think that this team can be in the mix beyond the Lakers. Well, that was why I brought up second and third. I was assuming the same thing, that the Lakers are one. And then you've got uh, got a lot of changes with the Clippers. Uh, You know, and will that make them better? Will it make them worse? Are they going to go sideways, just have a different set of problems, but basically be about the same team? Obviously, the Nuggets lost some pieces. I think there were a lot of oohs and ahs when Jeremy Grant went away. We don't know if Porzingis is going to be healthy in Dallas, healthy in Dallas if they're really going to have uh, you know, their team. Uh, the Warriors are going to be missing Klay Thompson. Uh, they get him back, maybe it'll be different, but since they're not going to have him this year, you know, they shouldn't be out of reach for the Jazz. I mean, you can kind of go, go through every team and say, hey, what about, you know, can they catch these guys? Uh, how does Portland stack up with Nurkic back for a full year? It's another good question. It's just two, three. It seems like being in that, being in the second round as a two or three seed, playing whoever else puts it together this year, whether that's the Clippers or the Blazers or whoever, doesn't seem like that's too much to ask. That seems like that's right in front of you, reasonable goal, and one that make feel people feel. And also, you get in that series, you're not done. You got a chance. Maybe you go further, but at least can you get that far? Yeah, I think the capability is there. My point that I was making is if they were finishing two, three for three, four years in a row, we'd get sick of that. Absolutely. Yeah, you always so, want more than you have. Yeah, wherever you're at, you want a little consistently, more. if it's not winning the title. Now, if you're winning the title, there is no more. You know, you're, you're good. The Warriors a few years back weren't wanting more. Uh, they were wanting health at the right times. And, you know, most of the time they got it. Sometimes they didn't. Uh for the jazz perspective so that's the point well bringing gobert back just guarantees you in the four five and that seems like who really wants that well the point i'm making if him coming back guarantees you two three you'd get sick of that too but you have to look at it from the jazz perspective what else could they have done 
Now, when I say that, I'm not asking you to be literal general manager. Well, they could have done this with this team or that team. I'm speaking generally. What could they have done? What was the alternative? What choice did they have? Because as I look at it, you always have choices. But I think this was the best option of the potential choices that they had. Without cranking up the trade machine and getting into the minutiae, their big picture options were trade him and almost certainly lose the trade. Because as you said an hour ago, the history of the NBA is if you trade an elite player, you're going to lose. So <laughs> you're, you're not going to get full value back for him. Uh, let him go. Let him walk at the end of the year and then try to use that money to go get somebody and replace him. Uh, the history of attracting free agents here, not good. What pieces do you have to trade to take on more salary coming back and try to do it that way? Not good. You know, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what their ceiling is. I don't know where they're going to peak out. But this looks like the best bet. You know, financially, right. is, he, is he worth it? Yes. Ownership will make more money off of him than they are paying him. So from a traditional business, what we're talking about is, is it worth it chasing a championship? Are these two guys going to be better at some point in their careers than the two stars on the other teams? Right now it's the Lakers, you know, the way super teams get built. Who knows who it'll be in three years? You know, are these two guys in Mitchell and Gobert going to be that good? And we don't know, but it seems like how would they get two players better than these guys? I don't think they would. So they got to roll with these two guys. Yeah, and you know what bothers me? Even at the college level, if they were to make this move, then it would be like, all right, we had a new fresh – or they didn't make this move. They, they made another move, I should say, that they would start a sort of like a – not necessarily a rebuild – but another new beginning. You take a look at the U of A football program down in Tucson. They're rebuilding again. We're starting over again. If I'm a fan of that, that drives me nuts because you keep getting into that, and it's like it buys the coaching staff in the front office or whoever might be, the athletic department in the college level. It seems like it buys them more time. Well, as a fan – I'll allow you to do that, but I'm not going to allow you to do that two and three times in a six, seven-year period. That's the great thing about signing these two guys is they're not – you're always in a reloading period in in college and pro sports because there's always changeover to a good degree. So I understand that. But this rebuild, well, we got to give it time. You got to be patient. You got to trust the process. Yeah, I'll do that, but I don't want to have to do it multiple times in a fairly short span of time. And the good thing about this with these two signings, Mitchell and Gobert, is these guys are on a clock. They want to win, and they want to win now. You can hear the irritation in Mitchell's voice about going out in the first round. We're done with that. I mean, that's what he's saying, and he means it. He doesn't want to do that again. So the onus is on everybody, everybody connected with the Jazz. The onus is completely on them to get along better in the postseason. Go beyond where you've been. 
everybody wants that. So they're all shooting for the same thing. And if I'm a fan, that's exactly what I want. I want my team to be in a win now. Let's go. Let's do what the best we can do. Is it probably going to bring a title in the summer of uh, 2021? Well, I certainly wouldn't bet on it. I understand that. But I still want everybody going in that direction. And if you let Gobert go through either a free agency or a trade, well, then you're regrouping again to a large extent. And I'm sort of tired of that from with that mindset of that happens over and over again. And we see that with as per, particularly at the NFL or that I should say the pro level, NFL too, but I didn't mean to single them out, that with these hiring and firing of coaches all this time, you get so sick of it after a while. At least I do. Well, I did too. Uh, and, you know, this is, if you look at the Padres, they had multiple plans over the last decade, and they were going to go young until 2015 when they went all in on a bunch of veterans, and that didn't move the needle at all. And then they went back to going all in on young. And when you finally get a young core, hopefully you stick with it. And, you know, this last year was good, and it feels so different than the last decade. You, you know about Suns fans. Your sisters are living down there. It's, yeah. it's, they got Arizona football is doing the same thing as Phoenix Suns basketball. And, right. you know, I, I don't know. You don't talk much about the hockey team. We don't talk much hockey. They got their – I think they got their fourth, actually, right? It doesn't ma- – the Suns got their first. You know, the, the Suns matter in that community. And it's got to be maddening. And maybe this will work with Chris Paul and they'll at least get to the playoffs and be in that 7, 8, 9, 10 conversation. They're all excited about it, like they're going to be better than that. And the thing is that the pros, maybe at college too, because college is getting very professional, but certainly in the, in the pro leagues, only one team win, wins the championship. Everybody else is selling hope. Either selling that you're going to compete for the championship or you're building towards it. You know, I don't know if Buffalo thinks they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. The history of the NFL says they could, they might, they probably won't, but they might. But at least with a young quarterback, Bills fans are thinking, okay, we won the division. We're looking like a three seed. We've already beaten Pittsburgh, who's the two seed. You know, there's hope there. And they may just run into Kansas City and get run off the field. You know, (laughs) Kansas City's really good. But there's several teams there that have hope. And there are teams like Arizona that are eight and six that at least they got a young quarterback and they think they're building towards something. And where are they going to be two to three years down the road? The Jazz may hit a ceiling with these guys and they may not get there, but I don't see how they had a better path or, you know, you, if you put a number on this, they've got a 40% or 20% or 10%, whatever you think the number is chance that the Jazz could win a title with this group of guys. What was the path to having better odds than that? A trade, letting Gobert walk. You know, if you think they paid him too much, you may well be right. But was there a, a path that they were going to go down where they were going to have better odds? I don't think so. And so you just hop on this train and now see where it goes over these next four to five years. There'll probably be a couple of sets of guys who will look back and think, hey, they had a chance with this group, and then they built this group over here. If you look at Stockton and Malone, you know, who were here forever, I mean, they had three very distinct groups that they played with. And – you know, these guys in the long run, I mean, think, think back. We talk about how you always say this, PK. You've been saying this for 19 years. Uh, there's no losers in pro sports, number one. And number two, every three years, everything changes. Well, look at the Jazz last three teams, right? And now if you go back three years, it was the year they beat the Clippers, won the playoff series, and then lost in the second round of the Warriors. How many guys are left from that team? I mean, Mitchell wasn't here yet. He was still at Louisville. 
You know, Gobert was here. Ingles was here. It's a pretty short list. Everybody else is new. So they'll, they'll take a swing with this group of guys, and a couple of years down the road, the group will look pretty different. Uh, yeah, but I think that I could say, and it will look pretty different. I don't have any problem agreeing with that. But I think that the good thing about it is the nucleus. And because he's, uh, what is he, uh, 20, I think he just turned 28. And that's Jordan Clarkson I'm speaking of. I'm pretty sure that he's going to be here for like the next three years. I don't know that. But that's three guys that you can look forward to and say, hey, we got an opportunity here to, to make a mark. And you don't know what's going to happen. It's impossible to predict. But LeBron is 36 years old, right? At some point, he's got to stop being the biggest, baddest beast on the block, doesn't he? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> well, and you would have thought amazing. that that point was three years ago. I mean, honestly, if he had hit the wall at 33 and dropped off, you would have said, that was an awesome career, but, you know, this is about the time it should happen. I mean, he is past the expiration date. And, man, watching him in the bubble, he hadn't lost a step. He was still doing it all. Right, right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just an athletic marvel, that's for sure. And I don't want to just say, oh, well, we'll be ready to go when, the, when he slows down. No, because man, I, don't, no. I, don't, I don't want that line of thinking. You've got to try to make your best move and make your best team that you can be right now because you don't know. I can argue, well, in three years when he slows down, Doncic is 23 years old and he's just uh, a Magic Johnson and a LeBron combined or something outrageous like that, whatever it might be. You have no clue what's going to happen in that way. So I'm not saying, well, just bide time and we'll get there in uh, two years when LeBron – gets uh, tired and wants to move on. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the nucleus, the, the true nucleus in three years for this ball club should still be here. And I, to me, that, that's a positive sign. So I know I'm going to be competitive for the next two to three years. And I think there's guys out there who are going to want to come and be a part of it. The closer you get to winning, the more – people will be interested, you know. Can they win, and can you pay them? And right now, the money's all spent. But, you know, in a few years, they'll have some money again. You know, it'll, uh, these contracts run out, and they'll have a chance to do something else. Uh, well, I think before we go, I think that, that they've done a really good job of not boxing themselves in financially. When's the last albatross they had contract-wise? Was it Karolinko? Whereas, like, we were counting the days until it expired? Well, certainly we were with Kirilenko. The last two years of that deal seemed like they wouldn't end. Um, yes, yeah, since then, that would probably be it. I don't think there's been anything that big and that outrageous that, that missed. Ulster tag? Well, before that, yeah. 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 So they've done really good as far as not just waiting for that thing to get over basically I think that that's what the Celtics were doing. I mean, one year into it with Hayward, now he had the injury, obviously, which played a major role in the development of young guys. But I think this whole last season here was just wait till his contract is over so we can get off the books with him. That looked like where it was going, and that's ended yeah. up where, that ended up being where it went. Right. And the great thing about these guys here that they have signed, I don't think we're in that boat with these guys. No, I don't think so. I mean, if you think there is, tell us who it is and which contract it is, but I don't think so. I don't think that's the issue right now. I think the issue right now is they paid a couple of really good players really good money, but yeah. when push comes to shove with the Western Conference being loaded, 
are your two stars good enough to beat their two stars? And, you know, if we got somebody on the phone from Denver right now, the answer would be, ha, 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 no. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to have to do it when you get to the playoffs because uh, their two stars play at a high level and, and they came back from 3-1. All right, DJ and PK, the Road Home Mediathon is underway. Utah's uh, largest homeless shelter, and they've got uh, the two locations now. They've got the family shelter in Midvale. They've got the Men's Resource Center at 3380 South, 1000 West. They're housing about 750 people a night. For a little less than $20, you can house one person for one night. So make a $20 donation. You can really change somebody's life right now. It is cold out at night. Sleeping on the streets or sleeping in a car would be horrible. You can help them house people right now. Donate on the phone at 801 811 Online at theroadhome.org. Theroadhome.org. And if you want to drop by the Men's Resource Center at 3380 South, 1000 West, you can stop by and drop off uh, donations, socks, uh, underwear, Mass, both disposable and reusable, store-bought, homemade. Uh, They could use your help with there. Always, if you have an extra coat uh, that you can donate, they would appreciate that. Blankets, uh, but socks and underwear, always a high priority. And so you go to the the Men's Resource Center, 3380 South, 1000 West in South Salt Lake. Donate cash online at theroadhome.org or on the phone at 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're home for Utah's best sports radio. With the hosts that have been with the Jazz, Utes, and Cougars for every step of the way. This is DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. yes! DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The youths finished 3-2. and two. Evaluate their season, PK. Vegas Jazz fan senses this. The youths finished 3-2. On to next year. D. Kim Clayton says, it was short. Got a lot of comedy here, PK. Uh, yeah, they're very funny. <laughs> <laughs> David says, thumbs down for ducking BYU. They ducked BYU? Conference banned non-conference games. Until they suddenly didn't. Okay, Colorado, you can play San Diego State. Was that it? Was that the only non-conference? Am I missing anyone? Uh, I believe that was the only non-conference. I can can check that for you, but I think that was the only one. Right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't know about the BYU thing. I mean, they didn't have any choice on that deal. I, I do think, though, in looking at the Pac-12 and their few games versus what BYU is going to get 12 games, that's just remarkable. That's just a mess. Some teams only played four games. Jeez. I mean, yeah, Wazoo was one of them. Finished one and yeah. three after that loss to the Utes. The Devils were one of them. I was one of those suckers who stayed up till midnight in, in driving rain. Wow, what a shock. They chose to have schedule the Oregon State, give Oregon State its fifth home game of the season, and the Devils had one game, and they chose to go in late December or middle of December in Corvallis, and it was raining the whole time. Who knew? You, when you brought it up last week. 
was the line of thinking that made any sense December there? late night football. <laughs> Would you rather play in Tempe or Corvallis? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> For the thousand of us who watched that game. <laughs> so uh, I think the Utes got – they got what they needed to get mostly – 95% out of this season. They found the running back. The defense got up to speed, but the quarterback will go into next season as an enormous question mark. And you're hoping a Cam Rising can play, settle in, go through whatever learning curve he needed to do, and, and be ready to go. Instead, he got hurt in the second quarter of the first So game. they found a great defense in a running game, and tomorrow morning when my alarm goes off, it's going to be Sonny and Schur singing I Got You, Babe. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, the Utes have a good defense again. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's better than not having a good defense, so I'm glad they found it. It's not exactly breaking news that the Utes are going to be pretty good defensively. Speaking of a storyline that we've seen over and over and over again, man, you really are who you are in life. Somebody coined that expression a good while ago, and it is so true, which, you know, we're making fun of it because we've seen this story over and over again with the Utes. But at the same time, that has led to a lot of winning and a good form of consistency. And when you so, pencil them in for eight or nine wins based on their good defense and their running game? At this point, you know, it's way too early because we don't know who's coming back and what the rosters are going to look like yep. across the conference, across the division. But this morning as we evaluated, yes. And I'm thinking uh, six wins. We're going we're – going, uh, like minimum here. So in, in the conference, when I say six wins is what I'm talking about. Now, they could get more than that for sure. Right. But I'm saying as I look at it right now, I'm looking at worst-case scenario, six and three. Uh, that's not bad. And so, right. uh, you know, eight and one is outstanding, obviously. Nine and oh. Nine and oh is un- unachievable. It, 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 the conference proved it again. I no team to ever goes that. to go undefeated. Someone will do it at some point. All right, we got to take a break. We will pick that up another time. When we come back, Matt Marshall, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel, covers UCF. We'll talk bowl game with him next. Stay with us.